part one chapter twelve of saunterings in and about london by max slesinger this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twelve gentlemen and foreigners one of dr keif's adventures manners and customs of old england a new acquaintance english flegeljahre the ordinances of fashion our friend's autobiography the gentleman's occupations and eccentricities foreigners john bull on foreigners generally strife and peace among the thousand and one adventures which dr keif had in the very first week of the season there was one which as fate willed it became entitled to a page in the chronicles of our house footnote it is of no use concealing the fact that our house is that of a respectable london citizen we will therefore confess that sir john is neither a knight nor a baronet but that we without the intervention and assistance of her gracious majesty considering his eminent services on behalf of our readers knighted him by means of a silver teaspoon End footnote one night at the opera he met a gentleman whom many years ago he had seen among the ruins of heidelberg castle dr keif was of course overjoyed to see his old friend and for many days he sang that friend's praises in the most extravagant terms he told the ladies of the house that the gentleman he had met was a don juan whose very appearance conquered legions of blue devils while the glance of his eye was enough to attract and subdue any female heart oh indeed said i then he's a dandy never mind whispered dr keif with an air of profound mystery he'll be worth his weight in gold as an ally he isn't even an englishman i tell you that is to say not a modern englishman but a youthful scion of merry old england not a trace of orthodoxy is to be found in him neither in church nor in kitchen matters neither in criticism nor in politics and to sir john the learned doctor said sir i have found the man who first gave me an idea of the greatness of england who persuaded me to study johnson's dictionary and to whom i am indirectly indebted for your acquaintance respect and friendship of course we were all very desirous to see this remarkable man and here we ought to remark that in an english family the introduction of a stranger is not so usual and commonplace an event as in germany and france previous to and after your first visit the family meet in council your good and bad qualities are weighed in the scale of domestic criticism for every member of the family sees in you eventually a bridegroom brother-in-law son-in-law uncle or master at all events you are considered as a suitor for the privileges of a friend of the family for the slight and passing acquaintances of continental life are unknown in these circles the very servants in such houses are hereditary and hold their places for life the nurse is hired for three generations the coachman's grandfather trained the mare whose great-granddaughter is now the property of the son of the house the question whether the doors of the sanctuary are to be opened concerns all the members of the family and gives rise to lengthy discussions and animated debates while the parlour votes you a gentleman low voices of warning are heard from the depths of the kitchen for the cook says sure no one knows what church you go to on a sunday 
and the other day your coat was buttoned up to the chin for all the world as if you had cause to conceal your linen or the want of it even miss lollipop though but just in her teens and fresh from the nursery takes part in the debate and raises her shrill voice in condemnation oh i can't bear him mamma says she and i won't remain in the room when he comes how can he dare to pinch my cheek as if i were a child and you o unsuspecting stranger have no idea of the sensation which your knock produces throughout the house and when on going away sir john shakes hands with you and sees you to the door asking you to call again you are perhaps continental as you are cautious enough to consider all this as a mark of cheap and common politeness you are mistaken sir john lays great stress on his religious observance of the ordinances of old english family life and he quotes with much emphasis the following paragraph of that most explicit of all unpublished law-books and in case the stranger male or female doth by a comely form and demure carriage gain thy british heart then shalt thou when he or she departeth give his or her hand a hearty shake to signify and prove thereby that he or she shall always be welcome at thy table at thy fireside and in the spare bedroom which is in thy premises but if thou dost not like him or her then his or her hand shall not be so shaken robert baxter esq or simply mr baxter as we by this time are accustomed to call him had thanks to his friend and eulogist no difficulties whatever to contend with he marched in with flying colours he came saw and conquered the hearty shake of the hand was resolved upon before he had emptied his first cup of tea at our fireside by this time he is the most intimate friend of the family he comes and goes away at his liking takes the children out in his gig and has in short made such progress in the space of a very few weeks that in direct violation of another paragraph of the family ordinances he lays hands even on the sacred poker and actually pokes the fire with it a privilege which according to law should not be conceded even to a friend before the expiration of the seventh year of amicable intercourse let no one fancy that these remarks are an introduction to a novelistic plot to dispel all suspicions on this head i proceed at once to unmask dr keif's abominable perfidy one which the ladies of the house vow they will forgive but which they cannot forget only fancy their disappointment keif's don juan his amiable hero his capital fellow for thus it pleased the doctor to call him mr baxter in fact is a grey-haired old man dr keif was cunning enough to excuse the incorrectness of his description by pleading short-sightedness it never had struck him indeed it had not and after all said our learned friend though not exactly young mr baxter is youthful his whiskers for instance are brown and his large clear eyes how free and open do they look at all and everything has he not an aristocratic hand is not his chin round his forehead white and his toilette irreproachable 
in short the more i think of it the more firmly am i persuaded that mr baxter is quite a don juan if compared with your absurd london greenhorns whose lengthy faces make all the french shop-girls in regent street gape true said i in my opinion mr baxter's grey hair is his best recommendation for none but children and old men are truly amiable in england no creature on earth more excels in charming merriness and bold natural freshness than your little free-born trouserless briton but the moment the boy sports the very ghost of a stray hair on his upper lip the moment he lays in a stock of razors and stiff shirt collars that very moment does your english boy undergo a most shocking metamorphosis and one which even doyle would despair to depict the flagelyara the period of sowing wild oats with other nations a mere transition period scarcely longer than a northern spring is in the case of an englishman protracted through ten years and more with the very brightest character it lasts up to six-and-twenty but it also frequently happens that the modern englishman like unto tully's roman remains an adolescence up to forty there is something altogether indescribable in this english flagellar character fancy a cross between an unctuous missionary and a fast undergraduate duly coated gravited brushed up and dressed out for the dining-room and you will have a tolerably approximating idea of the flagel youth who eager to be very respectable and romantic at one and the same time succeeds in appearing either insufferably tedious or unconstitutionally comical is it their hypochondriacal climate so do the continentals ask every year when the english exodus arrives on their shores or is it church and state is it a fault of education or a want of digestion which causes these wealthy tall islanders with their red faces and costly coats to stand forth so queer and out of the common order of human creatures they are neat to perfection and got up regardless of expense in all their details but take the fellow as a whole and you find him mighty unsavoury you will find the reason neither in the fog nor in constitutional liberty no act of parliament forbids a man to cultivate the graces and the climate enacts flannel only but by no means the zopf it is not want of education but a superabundance of it it is the education of a rigidly puritanical governess whose name we never pronounce without a feeling of secret awe the governess is more fervently adored than the established church people fear her more than they did the spanish inquisition as fate sat enthroned in mysterious majesty above the gods of greece so does this cruel mistress lord it over magna carta habeas corpus and all the other glories of old england her name is gentility liberty of the press and popular agitation avail not against her the commons of england have conquered the strongholds of toryism mr cobden and his cotton lords have trampled protection under foot and light is being let even into the gloomy caverns of chancery but what agitator dares to league the cunningly separated classes of english society against only one of the one thousand three hundred 
positive and negative enactments of gentility whereby the favoured people of the isles are distinguished from the pagans of the continent from the immoral uneducated barbarians from those soap-renouncing foreigners who liberates the free-born briton from the fear of losing caste a genuine british phrase this which follows him as his shadow whithersoever he may direct his steps which haunts him even in rural retirement and which in a town containing near three millions of inhabitants admits not even of one single circle of free and general sociability at a political meeting perhaps there may exist something like an approximation of the upper and lower classes and peers and draymen cheesemongers and guardsmen may on such occasions breathe the same air and fill it with their cheers and groans but i will rather believe that st peter's of rome and st paul's of london can come together than that the cousin of a right honourable will knowingly and with tolerance prepense eat his dinner at the same table with the keeper of a cheese shop we the foreigners are blind to the graces of the english flagel youth his manners which we liken to those of a dancing bear are in the eyes of the natives respectable what we contemn as a mincing chilliness of address is exalted as the decent reserve of the true briton of course there are exceptions especially within these latter days now and then we meet with daring innovators who doubt the exclusive decency of english manners there are bold sceptics proclaiming in the east and in the west that a man with a coloured necktie ought to be able to appear in the pit of the italian opera without thereby obliging all proper-minded females in the five rows of boxes to faint away and be carried out forthwith others pretend that at table you may take the fork with your right hand without by so doing affixing an indelible stigma to your name and that there is a possibility of pardon even for the man who eats mustard with his mutton the very boldest assert that you may take a pea with your knife and eat the pea too and yet be a gentleman for all that these are charming signs of the times they awaken hopes which another generation will perhaps justify but generally speaking there is no denying it that the free social spirit of merry old england is most frequently to be found among the elderly men grey hair with red cheeks is pleasing to look at and doubly pleasing are those colours when they ornament the head of a gentleman for in such a case they announce the presence of all sorts of manly amiabilities the word gentleman has been shockingly profaned in england according to sir john's cynical definition any man is a gentleman who pays his tailor's bill the correctness of that definition would appear to be generally allowed for the name is most liberally bestowed on dandies and blockheads wealthy tradesmen and sporting men but in these pages i speak of the gentleman in the truest and noblest sense of the term he is a joint production of nature art and accident and there are many conditions to the perfection of this beau ideal imprimis he must not be compelled to eat his roast beef by the sweat of his brow for he who has to work for his existence in england cannot of course be said to be independent 
he must have made the grand tour for to the english the continent is in a manner a social high school and academy how miraculously is the innate and indestructible kernel of english character developed in such a man as he ripens in years he breaks through that icy covering which in his earlier years surrounded him and he shakes off the chains of etiquette or bears them with a grace which proves that to him they are not a restraint but an ornament a few years later he eclipses the flower of the male part of the society in germany and france his jovial humour is restrained by an exquisite tact his politeness acquires substance from a free and hearty manner there is in him so grave and natural a manliness that to oblige him and to be obliged by him is equally agreeable it would seem that he becomes younger as he advances in years such a man was robert baxter esq the history of his development is short and simple enough shortly after his introduction into our circle he related it one evening after dinner of course for what does the code of family morals enact and prescribe thou shalt invite a gentleman to a good and solid dinner the which consisteth of fish and roast meat and pudding and wine but thou shalt not invite him to the eating of cakes and sugar-plums and much less shalt thou tempt him to a soiree dansante where he would have much labour and no sustenance and at a table thou shalt not as the wicked do make the said gentleman talk of politics business science and diverse other heavy matters lest peradventure his attention should be diverted from the enjoyment of the various dishes which thou shalt set before him obedient to this law sir john gave a grand dinner to all his family to celebrate mr baxter's acquaintance it was after that dinner that our friend reclining in an easy-chair gave us the following sketch of his former life story god bless you i have none to tell sir my life has been that of a gentleman comfortable and monotonous throughout i was brought up by an uncle of course he was rich most uncles are he spoilt me and left me his property i went to harrow and oxford where i learnt that no one ever learns anything in those seats of learning except fighting hunting and the art and mystery of writing latin verses and after all to think of the lots of very clever men we have in spite of those places truly it is miraculous old england thank goodness can't be ruined but it wants ventilation ventilation in foreign climes is a necessity for the free-born englishman that was my idea when i crossed the channel to calais on that occasion i had a curious adventure not a duel oh, no nothing of the kind i pitched into a frenchman and knocked him down the wretch had called me un étranger i did not understand his mode of speech but a friend who was with me said the word meant a foreigner a foreigner you scoundrel cried i how dare you say a free-born briton is a foreigner and i knocked him down he got up and challenged me to fight a duel with him but the police interfered and i was arrested the lieutenant of the police who had to examine me told me with a kindness which was altogether undeserved on my part that the word foreigner was quite harmless that it had a relative meaning and that it might even be complimentary 
i could not stand that i had a dim perception of my being wrong and of having made an egregious fool of myself but still i could not get over the contemptuous meaning which we connect with the term and pig-headed as i was i replied in english sir i'd thank you for not addressing such compliments to me you may call me a non-frenchman of course you may for i am an englishman and glory in the fact but i would not be a foreigner no not for the world rather than submit to such an indignity i'd leave your country at once he laughed and bowed me out and that very day i returned to dover on my second continental tour i went through belgium to germany and when after a few years residence in that country i came back to england i was not alone i was accompanied by a foreigner a lady who bore my name she was not strong and could not bear the climate she yearned for her country but concealed her wish to return when at length i brought her back to the sunnier clime of southern germany it was too late that sad event happened many years ago but though she left me i was not solitary heaven be thanked i have a son a dear boy who is now at college at heidelberg of course your son is half a foreigner said miss lollipop with a slight toss of her head nothing of the kind said mr baxter with a smile he is a cockney by birth for he was born within the sound of bow-bells but added our friend i wish him to become so much of a foreigner as to enjoy the brighter sides of english life without a superstitious admiration of the darker ones a pause of general embarrassment followed the conclusion of this short and fragmentary autobiography the children looked at mr baxter curiously inquiringly for a couple of stories and anecdotes seemed still hovering on his lips but he sat silent and lost in thought probably his thoughts were with his son the heidelberg student perhaps he fancied he accompanied that son in his wanderings through some valley in the alps or to the ruins of some ancient abbey rich with curious carvings and relics of the olden time for mr baxter rides the antiquarian hobby as he does his other hobbies of which many are as laborious as useless for it ought to be remarked that a real gentleman hates absolute idleness some purpose or object fantastic though it be he must have he defies dangers and courts fatigues the old freaks which english gentlemen have and which they are guilty of to the signal astonishment and amusement of continental feuilleton writers and gothamites are mere excrescences of that restless desire of activity which is one of the most splendid qualities of the anglo-saxon race many thousands of englishmen each of whom can afford to make his life one long spell of rest devote their time and energies to an honourable servitude in the nation's service and slave for a single word of thanks from posterity quite as much as the continental bureaucrats do for orders and pensions if they want the talents or the ambition necessary for such a career they will devote themselves to farming or support some one of the numerous charitable institutions of the metropolis or their own county not only with money for that were no sacrifice but also by giving it their time personal attention and influence 
the active charity of the women is quite as great as that of the men and this explains the reason why although in england the gulf between wealth and poverty is wider than in every other country nevertheless up to the present day there are no symptoms of that patient bitterness of hatred among the lower classes that harbinger of an approaching doom which has come to other nations with the gloomy evangel of the future on its pale lips as a third class we have the amateurs and patronizers of arts and sciences the passionate and most persevering observers of nature who for many months will watch a swallow's nest or fill their diaries with observations on the signs and marks of instinct in cockroaches and snails the travellers in every clime who take their coffee with the shah of persia converse with the sultan on the superior excellence of english railroads rhyme on and in presence of the cypress trees of scutari smoke the pipe of peace with the comanches and the last of the mohicans and who now and then watch and register the hangman's tricks of an accomplished despot in order to recount them to our countrymen who never believe such shocking stories unless published under the authority of a gentleman of known respectability and conservative principles those who are altogether unable to employ their leisure hours that is to say their lives usefully devote themselves to some sport with a touching fanaticism and ride their hobbies with the heroism of world betterers such a man sails in a nutshell of a yacht to the polar regions or travels about in spain to effect the conversion of jews and gypsies or he ascends mont blanc and writes a letter to the times to commemorate his fatigue and folly mr baxter however had never been at mont blanc and what is more is not likely he ever will make the ascent he is too old and too clever on the evening in question he gave convincing proof of his shrewd good nature and tact for while we were all silent and embarrassed he leant back with the most comfortable air in the world and with a look of innocent slyness at our long-drawn faces our embarrassment and silence were caused by a word of which mr baxter had made a liberal use in his autobiography and which he pronounced with a provoking emphasis it is a word on which whole chapters and books might be written the word foreigner the ancient greeks spoke of all other nations on the face of the earth as barbarians and for a period i believe they were quite right it is said whether truly or falsely i will not here investigate but it is said that every englishman thanks god in his morning prayers that he has not been created a foreigner he is a foreigner but a very nice man a very gentlemanly foreigner indeed what a pity he is a foreigner offensive compliments of this sort fall very frequently from british lips the tone of pity contempt and condescension with which those disagreeable words are pronounced is applied not only with respect to the foreigner but also to the produce of his country bad cherries or plums are at once declared to be foreign there is no doubt they come from france belgium or holland when our cook opens an egg which offends her olfactory nerves and when she flings it indignantly into the dust-hole she accompanies it with the sneering hiss of foreign that wretched egg was laid by a dutch hen 
of course it was and probably the passage from holland was very long and stormy but alas all dutch hens have come into evil repute it is at once understood that them nasty furrin hanimals always lays bad eggs sir a bold attempt to vindicate the rights and the honour of foreigners was on one sunday evening made in guildford street at dinner-time when the glorious roast beef of old england graced sir john's hospitable board this glorious bulwark of your nation said dr keif is of foreign extraction sir john dropped his knife with the shock these words gave him i don't understand you sir said he rather sternly is not your loin of beef cut from judish ox that was fattened on the holstein marshes go to smithfield and ask the sellers where they got that homeric beef to which the british owe their strength humour and political superiority sir john was mute with astonishment and vexation he could not deny the truth of the learned doctor's sally yet if he admitted it what ay what was to become of the roast beef of old england come said dr keith following up his advantage and raising his glass here's a health to father rhine what do you say sir added he turning to mr baxter is there anything equal to the delight of a walking expedition down the rhine or up the r or moselle mr baxter took the hint charming said he even sir john must confess that we have some reason for our love of continental life and that travelling englishmen after all know what is good when they stick to the banks of the rhine the danube or the neckar certainly said sir john to see those countries and the queer sort of people that live in them is certainly worth while but to the english heart there's no place like home they have not anything extra in those countries have they oh yes they have said mr baxter peremptorily to whom sir john replied it's an old proverb that there's nothing choice or precious in the world but money will procure it for you in england i beg your pardon replied mr baxter with great determination there are things rich and rare which could not be had in england no not for all the money in the bank sir john was extremely shocked sir said he you astonish me oblige me by proving your assertion what is it you allude to why of a folks fest a people's festival really and truly a festival in the open air when all ranks and classes join and mix without any thought or possibility of a mob where the wine calls forth songs and laughter but where not a single fist is raised to threaten or strike and mr baxter continued in rather too flattering colours giving a sketch of the merry german life and contrasting it with life in england he expatiated on the general cultivation of the lower classes on the toleration of german social life in short he lost his way in producing so brilliant an apotheosis of german affairs that he did not or would not pay attention to sir john who shook his head in an ominous manner at first dr keif rubbed his hands triumphantly for on mr baxter's free-born british lips each word had the charm of authority but as our friend went on the doctor could not but confess to himself 
that mr baxter's victory might possibly lead to that gentleman's utter ruin in the worthy baronet's good opinion there was a long and awful pause at length sir john rose and with a smile by no means a natural one he walked up to mr baxter held out his hand dropped it and said sir it's my opinion you are a respectable man and i believe you mean what you say but moderation is good in all matters you may be just to foreign countries so am i but you idolize the continent and despise your own country that i beg your pardon but that is not the conduct of an english gentleman dr keif looked very pale and uncomfortable nonsense sir john said mr baxter good-humouredly let me say a word to you and then you may judge whether i love my country less than you do i have never meddled with politics but i am something of a tory for i take the world as it is and hold that everything which is is if not pour le mieux according to voltaire's candide at least not without good reason but no one ought to claim all honour and glory for him and his the people of this beautiful island have the inestimable treasures of liberty power and honour england is an impregnable fortress a charming garden fenced in by the ocean and by rocks her tranquil safety is cheap at any price no venomous reptiles creep on her soil the wolves have been exterminated for centuries past but in return the sweets of existence are open only to hard labour and high birth a consequence of this is a spirit of caste a tendency to seclusion a stubborn and rugged independence look at the continent what would those poor nations come to plagued and hunted down as they are if deprived of the comforting amenities of a kindly sociability what they have no unity in their state no protection abroad no sacredness of law no safety at home and yet you would dispute with them the paltry consolation of having better actors than you have if their towns with their eternal state of siege had our fogs and clouds of smoke our penitential sundays and breathless weekdays whoever could resist the temptation of committing suicide why such a state of things were a hell upon earth and can you believe that providence would allow such a state of things to exist but to return to england this country has the greatest parliament the most powerful orators the most humane police the freest newspapers the most untouchable liberty and with all this you lay claim to a monopoly of good potatoes and manners you would have all the gifts and perfections of earth but if this our england could in addition to her solid political heritage have the charms of continental leisure hours why then this same england were a paradise on earth literally a paradise where no one could ever think of dying sir john was pacified and happy and said he was he went about the room singing god save the queen and would not leave off shaking hands with mr baxter End of chapter 12